for the for the last two days uh, I've been under such heavy attack and uh, I uh, you know as a preacher there's several different ways you hear from God prayer reading of the scripture uh, the man of God uh, but then there's times when the only indicator you have that what you're supposed to preach and deliver is when God allows you to feel it. And uh, I've been uh, feeling a certain uh, reoccurring issue, and it's and I believe it's really what God wants me to talk about tonight. And uh, I believe tonight we're going to get to the heart of some things. And uh, and with the help of God, I'll be able to get out of the way and and let you uh, bask in the blood of Jesus. You know, in the Old Testament, blood was considered uh, ceremonially ceremonially unclean until it passed through the altar. And once that blood passed through the altar, what was unclean can now actually cleanse. When we go through the altar, it doesn't matter what's been trying to mount up on us and cover us. God will allow it, amen, to cleanse and to purify. And so with the help of the Holy Ghost, I want to preach to you out of St. John's Gospel, the sixth chapter. Give honor to Pastor Mayo, Cornerstone Church, all of my good friends here. And I don't want to start going down the list. I'll forget somebody. John chapter 6 and verse number 10. Everyone say amen when they're there. And Jesus said, make them sit down. Now there was much grass in the place. So the men sat down in number about 5,000. And Jesus took the loaves. And when he had given thanks, he distributed to the disciples. And the disciples to them that were set down. And likewise of the fishes as much as they would. When they were filled, he said unto his disciples, Gather up the fragments that remain, that nothing be lost. Gather up the fragments that remain, that nothing be lost. And I want to preach to you on this very simple subject, gathering up the fragments. Gathering up the fragments. Can you say amen? Amen. Father, we thank you for your spirit and your presence. God, I'm asking you that in the next few moments, you would speak through me as the oracles of the Lord. God, I pray you help me to deliver this word as you've given it to me. In Jesus' name I pray. And everyone said, Amen. Amen. Let's give the Lord one more hand clap of praise before we're seated. Hallelujah. Oh, Jesus. Hallelujah. Oh, hallelujah. 
Hallelujah. Oh, Jesus. Hallelujah. Shake your neighbor's hand. Give them a great big God bless you. And you may be seated. The feeding of the multitudes is one of only a few miracles which is recorded in all four of the Gospels. This miracle, like other miracles, showcases God's undiluted power over time, nature, and matter. When we examine miracles closely, we're not only peering into the power of God, we're also looking into the thoughts of God. Miracles reveal to us the way God thinks. I can think of few things more important than a glimpse into the mind of God. In this particular miracle, we discover that God is generous in his power. He will not just provide enough food for everyone to eat, but he will provide enough food for everyone to be satisfied. Where God is not generous is with the fragments. They will not be discarded. They will not be thrown away. And they definitely will not be lost. He refuses to waste what his power produces. If it is a product of his power, he plans on staying in possession of it. Nothing will go to waste. We know that God thinks this way. We know that this is the way God works. Isaiah 54 and 16, the Bible says, recording the words of the Lord, that I have created the waster to destroy. Consider Luke chapter 15. Jesus delivers three parables, praising people who, in spite of having more than enough, refuse to surrender one fragment of it. They go out of their way to recover every bit of what they've been, of what they've been blessed with. Number one, Jesus tells us about a man who has a hundred sheep and loses one. Yes, he still has 99. And yes, the 99 can easily reproduce and replace the one lost. But that's besides the point. None of what God's blessed him with will be left to the waster to destroy. He wants all the sheep that God has given him. Jesus goes on to talk to us about a woman with 10 silver coins. She loses one of those coins. And despite still having nine more coins, she turns her house upside down in order to find the one lost coin. God gave her ten. She intends to keep ten. Finally, Jesus tells us about a man who has two sons and a great household. One son decides to leave. And in spite of still having another more well-behaved son, and servants that could pass for sons. He never stops longing for his wayward son. So deep is his yearning that he celebrates his son's return with total abandon and says that his son returning home is as though he were raised from the dead. These parables tell the tale of just how valuable one soul is to God. One lost soul does not settle well with God. In fact, 
smashed in between this triad of parables, we find the phrase, there is joy in heaven over sinners that repent. Heaven celebrates a hundred sheep. Heaven celebrates ten coins. And heaven celebrates two sons. Heaven will fight to the last drop for wholeness and completion. Heaven wants everything it dishes out in return. Moses, a man well acquainted with the mind and the attitude of God, tells Pharaoh that it's time for Israel to leave Egypt and that he must let God's people go. Pharaoh refuses at first, but eventually capitulates. He tells Moses that Israel can leave Egypt, but they must leave their cattle behind. Moses fires back and tells Pharaoh, Our cattle also shall go with us, and there shall not a hoof be left behind. Moses informs Pharaoh that it's unacceptable for him to have what God gave Israel. Furthermore, it's unacceptable for him to give Pharaoh even one fragment of what God has given Israel. God will settle for nothing less than wholeness. The heifer and the hoof are going to be leaving with Israel. Oh, come on. Let's magnify Jesus right now. Oh, come on, let's magnify God. I want an attitude to get a hold of us tonight that says I'm getting everything God has given me. I'm not, I'm not leaving with nine coins. I'm not leaving with 99 sheep. I'm not leaving with just one son. I'm, le- I'm not leaving with just the cow. I'm getting the cow and the hoof. I'm getting my hundred sheep. I'm getting my two sons. And I'm getting my ten coin. Come on, come on. Get aggressive. Oh, hallelujah. Oh, come on. Oh, hallelujah. Oh, I feel like somebody can get it, get it, get it right now. Hallelujah. 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 And I know there's been a lot of preaching about soul winning going on around here. And let me just say this. Amen. As I begin to shift into another gear, you got to fight for every soul you're witnessing to. You got to fight for every soul you're teaching a Bible study to. Amen. You got to fight for every soul, every new convert. Oh, come on. Come on. Come on. He Oh, Jesus. Oh, hallelujah. Amen. I can tell you right now, we haven't been pastoring very long in Alameda. Amen. We just started our Sunday services a few months ago. Amen. But I can tell you something right now. Amen. Hallelujah. Every Sunday we, we just about packed that building out. Amen. And we haven't even been there that long. Huh? Amen. But I'll tell you what got a hold of me just a few weeks ago. Amen. God spoke to me during a service and said it's time that you start taking the fight to the air. Amen. Everybody that walks through 
through your doors. Uh, amen. It's not going to be enough just to do follow-up. Uh, it's not going to be enough just to get their phone number and their email address. Uh, it's not going to be enough just to send them a weekly text. Uh, you're going to have to get on your knees uh, and pull down spiritual strongholds. You're going to have to get on your knees. Come on, this is an apostolic church. We are spirit-filled people. And there's and this is a spiritual war. Oh, oh come on, magnify Jesus. Magnify Jesus. I'm telling you, somebody needs to bow up on Pharaoh and let him know the hoof and the heifer. that by now you understand that God is not willing to lose one soul. Even more importantly, however, God does not want to lose any part of the souls he saves. He wants the soul he saves to be whole. 1 Thessalonians 5.23, the Apostle Paul puts it this way, and the very God of peace sanctify you wholly. And I pray God, your whole spirit and soul and body be preserved blameless unto the coming of the Lord Jesus Christ. God does not intend to sanctify us partially. God is not trying to just keep half our soul before he returns or half our spirit until he returns or even half of our body until he returns God wants us whole Why are you preaching that, Brother Prado? Because I see a lot of apostolics that are fragmented and they're not whole Hey, in case you don't know it, brother, the day God saved you, you were whole but since that day till now too many of us have given up we got to fight for fragments. Oh, hallelujah. Yes. Oh, hallelujah. When God saves us, he makes us whole. And that's the way he expects to find us when he returns. You have to fight for wholeness. You have to fight for every fragment because circumstances and Satan will attempt to take it away from you. Oh, let me tell you, you'll come into church. Situations will arise. Things will happen. Expectations will not be met. And hell will try to chip away at you. Try to chisel away at your optimism and your faith and your enthusiasm. He wants to make sure that you come back the next week. Half the saints you were the week before. But we need to get that attitude of Jesus that says, I came in happy and I'm leaving happy. I'm not leaving anything here for the devil my happiness my joy my peace is going with me out this door 
Oh, come on. Oh, hallelujah. 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 We have to reach the point tonight where we refuse to settle for anything less than wholeness. One of the most destructive weapons against wholeness is bitterness. Oh, hallelujah. I'm not going to preach much longer. One of the most destructive weapons against your wholeness is bitterness. We must fight against it and refuse to surrender even a single fragment to it. If you feel like bitterness has got a hold of you, even a piece of you, tonight I'm encouraging you to get it all back. I'm telling you, people are going to get delivered tonight from the spirit of bitterness, from the bondage of bitterness. Tonight, God is... Oh, hallelujah, hallelujah, hallelujah. You know, Brother Mayo, when... when I, I was just preaching a conference the other day, and... Uh, Young girl there in, 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 in Pueblo, Colorado. Brother Marks and I were there. And uh, uh, young girl got the Holy Ghost uh, in, that, in that conference. And they had brought, Brother Elder had brought a baptistry there to the conference center. And uh, this girl was standing in the back. And I remember looking at her because she was getting with me while I was preaching. But you could tell she had lived a, a horrible life. She was just kind of a, she looked like a gangbanger. And uh, she just looked like she had been entrenched in drugs and gangs. And sure enough, when she came up to the altar and they started praying for her, uh, she started just screaming and, and falling on the ground and, and, and convulsing and twitching. And, and it just it was not a good situation. Uh, but you could see the Holy Ghost moving all over her. And then all of a sudden, the ladies in the church surrounded her and began to pray with her. And, and, and they got her back up on her feet. And they got her hands up in the air. And they kept praying and pressing. Amen. And in just a few moments, that young girl began to speak in other tongues as the Spirit of God gave her the utterance. Now... Now, hold on. I'm, I'm, that's just, I, that's good news, but it doesn't stop there. They took her to the baptistry and they baptized her. She came out of the water dripping wet in front of hundreds of people. And you know what she started doing, Brother Mayo? She started hugging folks. It did not matter that her hair was sideways. It did not matter that the mascara was running. It did not matter how much she had been abused. It did not matter how many times she had been, she was made whole. She wasn't. Now, if you've been Pentecostal, you know, this is, this is nothing strange. This is not strange that people do this after they get the Holy Ghost. This is not strange that people do this after they get baptized because they are made whole. And one of the first things that departs is bitterness. 
And you'll have two people from opposing gangs holding hands and dancing up here on the altar. You'll have a married couple that comes in on their way to divorce court and walks out on a honeymoon. Hallelujah. You'll have, you'll have any. The evidence of wholeness. But hell, and I'm telling you it's hell. Hell will come in and start trying to chisel and chip away at that wholeness. And I'm going to tell you right now, hell's preferred method is bitterness. Hebrews 12 and 15 says, see to it that not one of you fails the grace of God. Allowing a root of bitterness to spring up in you and thereby you defile many. The writer here is telling us that failing God's grace and a root of bitterness are go hand in hand. If grace saves us, and it does, because the Bible says by grace are you saved, then bitterness unsaves us. I fear that we don't take bitterness serious enough. Brother Mayo, I still wake up on Sundays and hear old songs. I still lift my hands sometimes and see things that I should have never seen. I still get into complicated conversations with people and find old feelings stirring up. But you know what stops me from coming into agreement with those things? The grace of God. No, hear me good. Because grace enables us to supernaturally live above and beyond any old self. Grace gives us supernatural ability to hear the songs but not put them on the radio. Grace gives us supernatural ability to get yelled at and keep quiet. Grace gives us supernatural ability to walk down the block we used to walk and not get in a fist fight. Grace gives us supernatural ability to walk by the liquor aisle at the store and not feel it. Grace gives me supernatural ability to call the dope man to invite him to church. Not to get a hit. Grace gives me supernatural ability to delete some phone numbers off my phone. Grace gives me supernatural ability to dump some people. I'm not I'm not going to let I'm not going to let the denominal world make me depreciate grace. I don't care how they preach it. I have a theology of grace and I am biblically entitled and mandated to preach it. I don't care if they make it sloppy agape. Brother, I thank God for his grace. 
and you better too. It is grace that brought this good man out of the world and, and now made him a pastor. I Listen, I'm not trying to brag on anybody. I want you to know, Brother Mayo, there's nothing in me that would ever want to fail the grace of God. Because if I fail God's grace, I hear the music and I listen. If I fail God's grace, Sister Mayo, I pick up the phone and I make calls I shouldn't. And the Bible says that the way to fail God's grace is through bitterness. If you allow yourself to get bitter, brother, you are going to undo everything. If the root is bitter, what is the fruit like? If the root is bitter, what is the fruit like? Amen. Let me talk to you a little bit about the fruit of bitterness. Amen. Bitterness defiles many. Bitterness defiles many. If you are bitter, you need to get saved tonight. and, And some people here might be thinking I'm playing semantics with words. I'm not. Let me tell you something. The scripture does not say that bitterness destroys. It said it defiles. And I'm just going to tell you something. If I had to pick between destroy and defile, I'd rather be totally laid waste because God can raise me from the ashes. But when you are defiled, you are held captive and prisoner, sometimes for a lifetime. I'd rather just be decimated and have God bring me up out of the heap. But brother... Let me tell you something about defilement. There are seven possible modes of the human conscience according to scripture. There are seven possible ways that your conscience can operate. And one of them is a defiled conscience. Amen. Titus 1 and 15 tells us that there is such thing as a defiled conscience. And the problem with the defiled conscience is that to it nothing is pure. The Bible says, to the pure, all things are pure. But to them which are defiled, nothing is pure. When you get defiled, let me tell you something. Hallelujah. A lot of young people don't understand why a pastor might pull them aside, tap them on the shoulder, or get behind the pulpit and say, hey, listen, I want you to stay away from so-and-so. We are not afraid that they might destroy you. And this is the way we interpret it. We think, you know, pastor, I can handle this. That person's a little funky and quirky, but you know what? They're not going to destroy me. We're not worried about them destroying you. We're, we're worried about them defiling you. Because it's going to get ugly right now. Hallelujah. Once you are defiled, nothing is pure. Your perception has now been changed. 
and you walk around the church and you think pastor has pets everywhere. Oh, well, he likes her because, you know, her parents are big tithe payers. Nothing to you is pure. Pastor can't shake anybody's hand because now you start everything in your mind. is now conspiratorial. Oh, why did we cancel that? I'll tell you why we canceled it. And there's a reason behind everything. You can't even see anything take place because all of a sudden your defiled conscience starts. Why are we singing that song again? Why is he preaching that again? Where are they going? What are they doing? God, help us to never fall under a defiled. If you are bitter, listen, hold on. Brother Prado's going to finish preaching in about 10 seconds. But listen, if you are bitter, I am pleading with you. I myself am begging you, be quiet, keep your mouth shut, get up here to the altar and get that root of bitterness out of your heart. You're going to mess up the youth group. You're going to mess up the church. You're going to mess up innocent kids. You're going to mess up somebody's marriage. You're going to mess up. You're going to defile somebody. Come on, come on. The Holy Ghost is talking right now. I'm telling you right now, if you are hanging out with somebody that is bitter, you need to start putting some distance between you and them. The Bible says to not even make friends with an angry man or woman, lest you learn their ways. Amen. You need to put some distance between you and them until they're restored, until they're recovered. I don't care if they have your last name. I don't care if you two grow up together. I don't care if you both are sopranos in the choir. I don't care. I don't care if you go shopping. I don't care if you owe them money. Go borrow money from somebody else and pay them off and cut them off. But put some distance. Come on. Come on. Oh, come on. For about 10 seconds, the Holy Ghost is talking right now. Shanda shanda. Go, 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 go. From the very onset of this service, the cleansing blood of Jesus has been trying to flow through some people's conscience. You know, 
Cain had tools. Yes, he did. In fact, Cain comes from an old Semitic word that means metalsmith. The Bible specifically says that Cain was a tiller of the ground. You cannot till the ground without tools. Cain will let her later give birth, amen, to progeny, one whose name will be Jubal Cain. And he made all kinds of instruments of brass. And then he'll have more progeny, and they all make tools, and they all make cities. But you know what? Cain took those tools and he took them to the altar. You see all these pretty little paintings where, you know, well, they're not so pretty. But Cain smashing Abel over the head with the rock. He didn't hit Abel with the rock. He hit Abel with some tool he had in his hand. He took those tools and he began to kill his brother with them. So grave, so serious was the issue. That later on, when God begins to develop the priesthood, he says, there'll be no tools at the altar. When you come here, no gimmicks, no none of that. Just you and and all your rawness. No manipulation, no building up, no props, no scaffolding. Just you, me, and that fire. And I'm telling you right now, if you want to pluck the root of bitterness up out of your spirit, you're going to have to lay the tools down where you're sitting. Get up here and say, I'm not up here because my youth group is watching me. I'm not up here because my pastor is watching me. I'm not up here because my mom drugged me up here. I'm not up here. I'm not going to. In fact, I'm going to tell you, if you come up here faking it, you disqualify yourself. There'll be no fire on your altar. There'll be no acceptable sacrifice. You're going to have to come up here, no gimmicks, no games, no tools, no manipulation, and say, God of heaven, rain fire down on my soul until this root of bitterness and all its fruit is consumed. Come on, I'm tired of hating my parents. I'm tired of hating my stepmom. I'm tired of hating my stepdad. I'm tired of this root of bitterness. I'm tired of resenting life. I'm tired of it all. I'm tired, Jesus. Come on, come on, if you can't make it up here, right where you're at, throw your hands up. Oh, Jesus. Oh, Jesus. Oh, Jesus. Oh, Jesus. <laughs> 